Good morning, church. <laughs> Welcome. We've gathered together to worship Jesus Christ, and so we're going to begin, as we all do every week, hearing from him and speaking his words to each other. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to read all of Psalm 24 out loud together to each other. So let's read this together. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up, you heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the King of glory will come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. Salah. Let's sing this together. Breaks the power of sin and darkness. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? And leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. you've done for me who brings our chaos back into order none but Jesus Christ let's sing this who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings 
take my place, that you would bear my cross, you laid down your life, that I would be set free, oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He is worthy. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the Great things he has done 
Grab a seat as we're encouraged by the choir.
in big cities with hundreds of skyscrapers and tiny towns with one stoplight on college campuses and Native American reservations and churches too many to count hundreds of thousands of men and women and boys and girls have made hundreds of thousands of life-changing decisions almost none of them knew her name and yet she was there Annie Armstrong lived more than a hundred years ago only this one picture of her survives history could have easily forgotten her but Annie Armstrong is worth remembering in the late 1800s when most women had no voice Annie was one of the first to speak up first for the urban poor in her hometown of Baltimore and then for Southern Baptist missionaries around the world who desperately needed support. It was for these people that she helped start the National Women's Missionary League. As its first executive leader, she gave women a platform in their local church and in ways that they'd never done before. These women helped focus Southern Baptist attention on the hurting and the lost and the missionaries trying to reach them. Annie wrote letters, 18,000 in just one year, and she traveled across America, encouraging missionaries and inspiring churches to pray, to give, and to act. She worked long hours, paid her own expenses, and refused to accept a salary. And in the darkest days of the Depression, right before she died, an offering was named after her. Today, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering helps missionaries in the U.S. and Canada start new churches and meet needs through Compassion Ministries. Over the years, Southern Baptists have given more than $1 billion to that offering, and 100% of it, every penny, has gone straight to the mission field. There's still work left to do. The need is bigger than ever, and that's why even though she lived more than a century ago, and even though only one picture of her survives, Annie Armstrong's influence lives on. Because today in North America, just as it's been from the beginning, anywhere a missionary is sent, every time a new church is born, anytime someone gives to her offering so that a lost person might be found, Annie is there. Well, good morning and welcome to Hebron Baptist Church. We exist to glorify God by inviting every person to take their next steps toward Christ. My name's Alan, and it is such a joy to join with you all in worship this morning. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you're here. We want to extend a special welcome to you. We would love to get to know you. One way that we can do that is through this card. It's called a Connect card. This card is in the seat in front of you. If you would pull this out and fill this out, this will let us know how we can be praying for you, how we can serve you. Then after service, if you exit through our central doors here, you can turn left. You'll see our next steps desk. You can turn in the Connect card there. Someone there will be happy to answer any questions that you may have, and we'd love to give you a free gift. So welcome to our guests. We're so glad that you are here. 
As always, we like to encourage our faithful worship through giving. There's a few ways you can give if you'd like to. One of those is online. If you pull out a card in front of you that looks like this, this is our online giving card. You can scan that QR code that'll take you to our online giving page. If you prefer to give in person, there are black boxes on the back of the wall here. You can drop a gift in. If you prefer, you can also come into the office Monday through Thursday, 9 to 4.30, or Friday, 9 to noon. Or you can write to P.O. Box 92, Hebron, Kentucky, 41048. All right, we're going to transition now to a moment of prayer. I invite you to please pray with me. Good morning, Father. Lord, we thank you so much for another day that you let us come to your house, that you let us worship you, that, we, that you let us fellowship with other believers. Thank you, Father. And Lord, this morning we lift it to you our core value of intentional discipleship. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of discipleship, for this process by which we grow to look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would bless our intentional discipleship as a church family. Lord, please bless our relationship with each other. Allow us to be real with each other. Allow us to open up and confess deep sins. Let us weep and grieve in the arms of a brother and sister. Let us encourage each other to rest in you and our healing Savior. Lord, we ask that you would lead us to love each other so much that we would support and encourage each other as we walk with you. We ask that you would allow us to sharpen each other, to encourage each other in love and discipline, and to build each other up in our common faith in you. We ask that you would bless our recent launching of our discipleship groups. Thank you, Lord, for all those who are committed and involved. We ask that you would use these to result in our personal growth, sanctification, and healing, that we would grow to look more like you, Jesus. Father, we, we pray for our upcoming Easter celebration outreach this coming Saturday, and we ask that your hand would be upon this event, that you would draw not only this church body, but our local neighbors and friends and family, and that you would use this as an event where we can make contact with others and share your love, and that it may even be a bridge that could draw people to come and worship you here in church. We lift it to our sister, Laura Madden, who is recovering from falling and hurting her knee. We pray for her and her husband, Rob, that you would be with them, that you would bring full recovery and comfort in this time. Father, we pray for the Freeland family as they grieve over the loss of Brian's father, James. We ask that you would be so near to Debbie and Jessica and Olivia. Let them know your presence in this time. A little further from home, Lord, our hearts go out to those worshiping you in London today. We lift up to you Chiswick Baptist Church. We lift up Steve Messersmith as he leads this church pastor there. Would you please refresh this church body as they worship you, the same Savior who has saved us on the other side of the world. We pray that you would bless them with intentional discipleship, that you would allow them to grow, to look more and more like Jesus, and as they do that, that your good news would spread to those in London, even those who are just visiting from other countries, and that they would receive your amazing grace and take that good news to the ends of the earth. And Lord, with our heart continuing to be abroad, we, we lift up to you those in Russia and Ukraine still experiencing this conflict over there. We pray for your healing. Lord, we pray for those who've experienced loss. We pray that you would be with them, that you would heal them in this time of trauma. Please be with government leaders. Please bring peace. We pray for local churches, seminaries who are shut down. We, we pray for local relief organizations. We pray that you would provide volunteers and the resources needed to bring healing in this area. 
And most of all, we pray that your good news would spread, even in this dark time, that somehow you would be strong in this moment of weakness, that people would see you like they've never seen you before, that those who have never heard of your good news in Ukraine and Russia, that they would hear it. We pray that you would strengthen believers, missionaries, church members. We pray you'd provide for their needs and give them strength in this time. Finally, Lord, we come to you as broken sinners. We confess the evil of our hearts and lives to you, our holy God. We all deserve your just judgment. We deserve you to send us away from the presence of your blessing and grace. But you, God, have done the unthinkable. You yourself have become the just sacrifice to cover our sins through the ministry of your Son incarnate, Jesus Christ. And we confess our sins to you, Father. We, we, we put out before you our brokenness, and we rest by faith and grace in you. We put our trust in you and the hope and the death of the resurrection of Jesus, our sacrifice, our Lord. You are our only hope, and we repent we return, we turn from our sins, and we ask that you would give us life change that only you can give. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We thank you for your good news. We thank you for loving us so much. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, and let's rejoice together that though our sins are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Sun, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more.
riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. They are... Give him praise. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness to every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more stronger than darkness to every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more our sins they are many his mercy is more that would you say amen? amen what good news that is what good news is that is that no matter how many times we sin his mercy is more than that this work on the cross is more sufficient even than we even know let's make this our prayer
Sean, I'm glad you're here today as we look in God's Word together. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. If you want to follow along in the translation I am reading from, you can turn to page 860 in the Pew Bible that is in front of you. That's 860. Uh, I want to explain the video that we saw a little bit earlier. Uh, Annie Armstrong and the uh, uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering uh, that kicks off today so hopefully you have some information and prayer guides and envelopes uh, to pray about how you might give to that uh, we are privileged and I talked about this in my new members class this past Wednesday night uh, being a part of a collection of churches who give financially together to support missionaries all over the globe uh, 4,500 around the globe, but also about 4,000 missionaries, church plants, and ministries uh, here in North America. Now, this offering, 100%, it doesn't, uh, 100% of it, nobody, none of it stays here, none of it stays in Nashville at Southern Baptist Executive Office, it doesn't stay in Alpharetta, where North American Mission Board is, it goes straight to our churches and mission, uh, yeah, our church plants, and missionaries across North America. And so, uh, as you think these next couple weeks as we march towards Easter, pray about giving a substantial and generous gift to this. We have lots of partners. One, our Redeeming Life Church in Utah, Salt Lake City. Uh, they started because of help through Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We have plants that are starting right now over across in Cincinnati because of Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And so, Pray and give to this. Uh, it's a vital work and a vital opportunity for us to be a part of something bigger than here. We get the opportunity to be the lighthouse here in, in Hebron and Burlington, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but we also are part of a bigger network, a bigger opportunity, a bigger kingdom pushing back the darkness across North America. So we hope that you will be part of that process with us. In uh, our series that we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, we uh, are marching our way to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the largest collection of Jesus' teachings uh, that he gave in one setting. And all of it is pushing us 
to see a picture of ourselves, a picture of ourselves in Jesus, a picture and a, a place that we can be as Christians that we follow in his likeness and that we want to be more like him. Last week, we were challenged. Let's be honest. Okay, now you've had a week to be honest about it. How many had to go home and talk to yourself down about worrying? Come on, show your hands. All right. The rest of you were worried I was going to ask that, and you're not going <laughs> to raise your hand. So you just fibbed about it. We were called not to worry. Today, we are challenged in an even harsher sense or a struggling sense. Boy, Jesus knows what we struggle with, right? Today, he tells us not to judge. Do not judge. So today, let's pray and ask God's word. Well, let's first read, sorry. We'll read and then we'll pray and ask God to direct his word uh, in our lives. Number uh, Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but didn't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how could you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us spiritual wisdom today, that you, through your word, would change us. God, we know you're making us into a new creature, one who has a new Lord, a new king, and a new way of life. So God, we pray today that these words, you would push deep into our hearts. God, you would change us today. That everything going on around us today, our lives, that we would pause and seek a word from you. And that, God, you would make us to be never the same again. That today we meet with you. And by your word and by your spirit, you would supernaturally change our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sarah and I really love the, the competition shows on TV. The singing competition shows mainly. Uh, we love American Idol. We love the now defunct British version X Factor. We, we did get to watch that on, uh, on TV. And, and then, of course, America's Got Talent. We, we love watching those things. We like to sit and listen and be in awe. We feel like it's a matter of common grace to us that we hear people's talents and what God has given to other people but in the the increasing popularity of these these shows uh, has increased what i think is the nature that kind of the judgmental piece of the show brings you know there's always a panel of judges and they either say good or bad and because of the sound bites and the meme creation and, and all these different things 
you know, these judges outdo one another in the criticism that gets fired at these people, you know, from, oh, that is horrible, or I would rather listen to a dog than you sing, you know, these, these types of comments. Well, unfortunately, these judging shows have risen in popularity, but they, but they kind of reflect. We could say, oh, they're the reason why we're like that, but actually, they're a reflection of our culture, of a critical, criticizing culture that we know that in our midst and in our lives today that we are quick to judge and criticize others. We judge others' way of dressing. We judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts like God has given us some way to, to somehow uh, supernaturally look into the, somebody's thoughts or heart. We are all our self-appointed judging panel on everybody else's jet, uh, driving ability but our own, right? Well, in this, we know that this culture of criticism has become our way of life. And as Christians, we need to not, we need to stop, we need to avoid having a critical spirit. As Christians... We've been gifted with this supernatural ability because God has entered into us to now see what is right and wrong. And that's a gift. But our flesh wants to bend that ability, to change that ability, to give us an excuse to have a critical spirit. To bend in a way, now that we can see right and wrong, to sometimes make us think we have the justification to criticize others. But brothers and sisters, we must guard our hearts towards having a critical spirit. Let's remind ourselves of James chapter 4, verse 1, what, that says, what are the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? What happens in our life? What happens with these, these wars that we have with other people? They are sourced within our own hearts and minds, our desires. And the critical nature that we have allowed to fester secretly in our hearts now come out because they are pointed at other people. Why do we have disagreements with our friends? because we criticize them because they didn't do something exactly the way that we would have. Why do we have disagreements with our spouses? Because in our own wisdom, they have not done the thing that we would have done. You know, even in the church, we have, unfortunately, Christians who criticize and hurt one another. We have people who criticize others for the way that they've fallen into sin that maybe we wouldn't have fallen into sin. Some Christians regularly feast on roast pastor every Sunday <laughs> as they criticize. Others know that we have a critical spirit, especially in the uh, greater evangelical world, that unfortunately many people look to those who believe the Bible fully 
who are within Orthodox, within conservative Christianity, and they look at those brothers and sisters and say, oh, you disagree with me on this small, minute, third tertiary belief, then you are my enemy. That you're outside of Christianity. That you don't belong within the church. This critical nature has, that was in the culture is now, unfortunately, alive and well in Christianity. When Jesus calls us not to judge, what he is doing is calling us to a different attitude. One, that of humility. One, of the spirit of Christ. You know, there is the instruction that we have of Jesus that we are to correct someone, to call someone out of sin, to counsel someone in the ways of the Lord. But when we do that, what does the scriptures tell us to do? To do it in love. To clothe us with the humility of Christ. So our criticism should not be that of one that tears someone down, but builds each other up. It points us to a Christ who can save, a Christ who can heal, a Christ who loves it, Jesus reminds us in the text that this critical spirit must be met with a humble spirit of ourselves before God. So in our text today, we're going to look at three truths or three ways to avoid having a sinful, critical spirit. Three ways to avoid having a sinful, critical spirit. Are you ready? All right. Number one, do not be judgmental. Do not be judgmental. Now, verse one and two says, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Someone once said recently that the most popular verse in all of culture, Christian and non, was probably John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He said, unfortunately today, because of our culture, it's probably Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge. In our culture that is very quick to excuse, overlook sin, that is a very me-centered culture, that I make my own standard, who cares what God says? This verse is now something that is used in a way to help uh, turn away both the way of the Lord, but also the proper meaning of the text. So when we begin this, and what I've been thinking about a lot this week, is really we need to define our terms. That's very important. What does Jesus mean here when he says, do not judge? When we look at the scriptures, we can look at a couple of different examples. We could make a list of verses that say, do not judge, and then we can make the same equal amount of verses that set, tell us to judge. For example, uh, the scripture tells us to not judge. Uh, Romans chapter 14 says, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
Luke 6, 37 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So we see the scriptures tell us, don't judge. But then the scriptures also tell us that we are to judge or to point out sin. Look at the scriptures that say this. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and you alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. John 7, 24, stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. Luke 6, 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will not be forgiven. We know that the scriptures say both sides. Jesus even judged. We see that Jesus says don't judge, but what did Jesus do? He called uh, the uh, Pharisees a brood of vipers. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He told the rich man, you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have a hard time entering the kingdom of heaven. The woman that was about to be stoned where Jesus said, cast the first stone, what did he also say? Go and sin no more. There is an understanding that if we think and look at this scripture and say that there is no room for judgment, then we have kind of missed what verse 1 is telling us. And let me just slip in a really quick rule of biblical interpretation. We should never judge our view of God or the Bible on one verse. We always take that verse and then we read it in the context of the paragraph. We read that verse in the context of the book that it's in. We read the context of the, that verse within the understanding of the whole Bible. We need to have a full understanding of what God's word says for us. And so as we think through this, it is, we must understand that we can misinterpret something and sometimes the world will even say, oh, there's contradictions in the Bible, so we don't have to listen to it. Well, here's what we know. God is perfect. God is holy. There is no mixture of, of, of wrong in God. If God breathed out his word, then he cannot say a false thing. If God cannot say a false thing, then we know his word is totally true. So if I come to something that I think contradicts it's probably me it's probably i haven't taken the time to understand the scripture it's because i haven't had the opportunity to read and understand god's word and understand what it is saying so what is this verse saying let's go back to what so it can't be according to the scripture that we never point out sin and it can't be that we do so in an unloving way so we must agree, first of all, that when the Bible says that we point out sin, we do so, we agree with God. We don't have a choice in that as a Christian. When God says something's wrong, we know and agree that it's wrong. We are called as Christians to lovingly, however, point that out. But what is Jesus saying here? There's two words that help us understand. First, the term judgment in verse 1 and the term measure in verse 2. So the term judge and judgment in verse 1 helps us to see, what does that mean? It means a standard of judgment. What is the standard of judgment you are using? And in verse 2, the term meton, which means measure, 
It is the measure in which you should measure, literally. That we understand that there is an instrumental, there's an instrument that we will use for measurement and judging. We are judgmental. What Jesus is saying here is we should not judge in a way that uses ourselves as the standard for judgment. That we become the standard measure of judgment. That we are the ones that everything should be judged by. The judgment or standard of judgment becomes us. In other words, it's a word that we use called judgmentalism. That we see, we look down at our down our long nose at someone else because they've fallen into sin, they've made a mistake, they've made a wrong choice, and surely someone of my nature would never do that. That they would be, they should be like me. They should do what I do. This command that Jesus gives against judgmentalism is a commanding to us to watch our attitudes because our attitudes change us or uh, or tempt us to judge others in a way not by God's standard, not by a holy standard, but by our standard. What Jesus is commanding is don't judge others in the attitude of ourselves. Verse 2 goes even further to make this point when he says that do not judge because you will have that same measure against you jesus goes further to say that if you are judged by that way you will be judged the same way back matthew 7 2 might read this way with a judgment you are you used to judge you will then be judged so that is the standard that we use to others we must be careful that how we do that, that we don't do so in a way that we look to say, oh, I will never be like that, or I could never be that way. Romans 2.1 actually uh, helps us in this. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things is pushing down this understanding that the ways that we judge, we do the same thing. We sit in the same way. Maybe not to the same extent or the same way, but we are sinful just like everyone else. We need to be reminded that there's one judge, and he is the judge that will make all things, the living and the dead, that he is the one. We don't become the judge or executioner in ourselves. We are not the roaming Batman making vengeance upon the world. We need to understand that we must, with humility, be reminded not to judge in a way that puts ourselves above others. Because what we are seeding is that if we know God's standards well enough to judge someone else, then we're well enough to admit that they're wrong and we should be judged in the same way. When we measure others by that standard, we accept that standard and allow God to use it against us. So consider before the next time that you judge someone for telling half-truths. Have you ever told a half-truth? If you hold to contentment or uh, that you have hold to condemn someone 
who's breaking a, broken a commitment? Have you ever broken a commitment? If you condemn theft, how are you dealing financially with others? If you make care, if someone makes careless remarks that hurt others, do you watch your words? Since we all violate the same measurement that we measure others by, then we label judgment on ourselves. But if we hope to receive mercy from God, we should extend mercy to others. How do we fight judgmentalism in our heart? When we look at the beauty of the cross towards us. That we are reminded of our own sin. That our sins are many. But God's mercy is more through his son, Jesus Christ. That we be reminded that if it wasn't for God's grace showing up in our lives, in that moment, and in that day, and him growing us, that that person we're so quick to judge, we should say, if it wasn't for God's grace, we might be in the same place. We reminded of the mercy and grace that has come to us, that our sin put Jesus on the cross, that he died for our sin. Our sin is no less than anyone else. While this does not give us a reason to excuse sin, it keeps us from having prideful hearts and being judgmental. While the, uh, Sinclair Ferguson observed of this text, the heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained in its judgment of others. It has seen itself deserving judgment and condemnation before the Lord, and yet, instead of experiencing his burning anger, has tasted his infinite mercy. Brother, sister, have you tasted the mercy of Christ? Well, consider your own heart today. Do you reflect on what Jesus spoke at the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, that those who are merciful will receive mercy? Do you extend mercy to others? Do you give grace to your children? Do you give grace to others who are stuck in sin? Are you willing to extend mercy that you have received much mercy? So we know that we must clothe our heart with the mercy of Christ. So when we need to correct or help a brother, because that's what this text says, if you're going to help a brother, if you're going to help someone, there is an understanding of this paragraph that we will help others. If you're going to correct someone in sin, then number two, perform spiritual eye surgery, get a good view of your own sin. If you're going to help someone else, perform spiritual eye surgery and get a good view of your own sin. About two months ago now, I received eye surgery. So that's why I don't wear glasses anymore, because now I can see more clearly. I removed the problems that was helping me to see correctly. If we're to help someone 
we need to be able to see well. Jesus in verses 3 through 5 gives a practical example how to remove judgmentalism from our life if we're going to help someone else. Verse 3, he says this, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own? The first way that we perform eye surgery is that we see our sin as the worst problem. That we see our sin as the worst problem. Jesus used a beautiful picture here that he says, now you can read it as we say splinter and then beam. To understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus is using uh, very much a carpentry term. Jesus used the term for uh, wood, which actually refers to the main beam or floor of a building in that day. This beam would have been 45 feet long and about 5 feet around. This was a severe, big beam. And then he used the splinter, or if you've cut wood and all the shavings and little particles go around, Jesus said, how are you going to point out that little, little microscopic speck of wood in someone else's eye when you can't even see because you've got a beam in your own eye? Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that before we help anyone, we would always look to see our sin worse than anyone else's. We tend to trivialize our sins and magnify everybody else's. But Jesus says here we should see what is painfully true. Our sin is more and most needs to be dealt with, while our neighbors should seem small. When we do this, this begins a, a, a humbling of ourselves. But this next step of this spiritual eye surgery is your sin is most important to deal with. Your sin is most important to deal with. In verse, uh, let's see, verse 4, it says, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Look, guys, I don't know about you, but if I have like a piece of rebar or I have some kind of two by four up in my eye I'm not going to be worried about how the other dude's going right I mean I'm going to make sure that I got that out of my eye so that I can get that help the other person we need to understand that our sin is the most important to deal with that we deal with our own heart the reality is when we see the gate or we hear the voice of someone we recognize it and see it from a distance but we can't see ours and we need to make sure that we deal with our sin as the most important that we deal with but thirdly we need to also deal with our sin first that's what jesus says not me but he's right hypocrite verse 5 First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. You know, often with athletes at the end of the game, the great ones, the good athletes, always take the blame first. But sometimes as an athlete, 
we say, oh, man, boy, that game would have gone so differently. But, you know, that was the worst game I've ever seen Joe play. You know, I wish if Joe would have just done this. But the great ones, what do they do? I could have played a better game. I should have been the one to make the difference. I need to ask my teammates for forgiveness. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is saying, not that we should never correct a brother who is caught in sin, but he means for us to help others in their sin only after we've dealt with ours. You know, what do they do in the emergency? I, you know, sometimes I, I try to put my, my AirPods in and just kind of blank out, but I know what they're saying. If you're in an emergency, if this plane goes down or if this, you know, this boat goes down, what are you supposed to do? If the oxygen mask comes on, take care of yourself first. Put the mask on yourself first before you help somebody else. If you get in the water, put your flotation device on first and then help somebody else. Why? A dead person can't help anybody. A hurt person can't hurt anybody, help somebody hurting. We need to make sure that we are helping first remove the sin in our life by confessing to the Lord, by seeking repentance, by doing what is right, by helping remove first our sin and then help someone else. For example, in marriages, we often are quick to blame our spouse for not doing something that the way that we want are our children. And we get so angry and we're so mad because they didn't do it what we wanted. How would our conversations and how would our marriages be if we stopped and paused and thought, before I get mad, where's my sin? Did I set an expectation that may have been unreachable? Did I even communicate my expectation? Was I wise in what I did? And if those answers are no, we say, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me of my anger. Forgive me of what I've done. And then go to that person and talk through where you were wrong before they were wrong. Brother and sister, we need to deal with these things because we must guard our hearts against judgmentalism because it ruins relationships. But Charles Spurgeon helps us remind us to see exactly what Jesus says. He says, after we ourselves are sanctified, we are bound to be eyes to the blind and characters of unholy living, but not until then. Not until we've been sanctified ourselves. Think back to the last time you corrected someone. Did you check your motives? Did you check your heart? The last disagreement that you had, did you have something of sin that you did not confess or correct? Did you correct yourself before you went into a disagreement? Brothers and sisters, consider how we might reconcile our disagreements and reconcile others to Christ by doing first, dealing with our own sin. 
that will keep us from considering ourselves better than anyone else now verse six number three use loving discernment when you share wise correction use loving discernment when you share wise correction don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet turn and tear you to pieces when jesus was commanding us not to judge and not be judgmental judgmental it helped us to see two types of errors one judgmentalism but now he's challenging us to be discerning we can quickly be judgmental if we're not discerning of the other person jesus is challenging us to consider the spiritual status of the other person where they are in their walk with christ consider where they are in walking with jesus because we can't expect them to do something which god has not already helped them to see we must not expect lost people to act like saved people we shouldn't expect baby christians to behave like seasoned christians we must correct and rebuke and exhort and train in righteousness as tim first timothy second timothy says but we do so with patience and love jesus gave a very clear example of not putting wisdom before the, those who are unwilling or not wanting to hear it in campgrounds all over the country they have a pretty generic or universal rule when you bring food into the park feed the squirrels yeah no problem feed the raccoons yep, no problem feed the deer yeah have at it what's the rule don't feed the bears the bears once they are fed will not be satisfied and will certainly want all the more and they will not stop and ask politely they will come after you tooth and nail and they will do so to get exactly what they want just like a sign that hangs in franklin's room he the sign reads this way what doesn't kill you makes you stronger except bears bears they will kill you <laughs> and this metaphorical language which makes this warning even more shocking than if he had just spoken without the metaphor jesus is commanding his disciples not to share the richest spiritual truth with persons who are particularly persistent vicious irresponsible and unappreciative he used the example of swine and dogs don't give pearls don't give riches to a pig who's just going to make it muddy don't give it to a dog who's just going to tear you up listen uh, when they talk about dog we're not talking about our lovely house pets right now we're talking about the dogs that would roam the streets of jerusalem as scavengers for food these dogs we don't give things they're not going to appreciate very similarly proverbs 23 9 reminds us don't speak to a fool for he will despise the insight of your words 
Jesus was very careful to use this term pearl as well because he's used it before. The pearl of great price, the thing that is most valuable of all things, of all the greatest possessions of great wealth, interpreting this metaphor, we cannot help but see that this beautiful gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one that is more valuable than all things, the creator, God, this is his world, but we know none of this pays off in the riches that has come to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. The one who has died for our sin, who has covered our iniquity, who has paid the price that we should have paid. This wonderful good news is richer and more valuable because I, to me, has come to me in my sin and I would have never had anything other than this wonderful, beautiful gift of God. And it's worth trading everything in for. It's trading everything in. Jesus says, don't put this pearl before men who will squander it, who will hate it, who will reject it, who will fight you for it. God has graciously given to man both human language in the Bible and human person, Jesus, the true revelation of himself. And over the years, I have understood that wonderful gift should not be given sometimes to the people who will reject it the most. Now, that does not mean we don't pray for them. That does not mean that we try. But when you get to a point of an argument or for them to show their theological uh, gymnastics or for them to be someone who just wants to fight, you just walk away in love. Keeping the conversation going, but dust your sandals off because you're not there to fight. You're then there to re represent Jesus. Or as once said, never wrestle with a pig. You just get dirty and the pig enjoys it. When we push correction and rebuke on someone who's not ready to hear it or who's not born again that can't hear the spiritual teaching, we need to be happy to patiently wait and consider another tactic. Let us be reminded that there's only one Holy Spirit and none of us sitting in this room are it or him. We cannot change someone's heart. We cannot do what only the Holy Spirit can do. We can present the gospel. We can present the truth of God's word. We can lovingly show them what is right, good, holy, and will bring them joy. But we can't make them take it. Only God can. We need to understand that if we get into an argument with someone and we keep arguing, it's not for wonderful, godly purposes. It's really for us to win an argument and be prideful. We need to be reminded that we must go with patience, considering the spiritual nature of the other person. Has there some time lately that you have gone to encourage, instruct, or rebuke someone, and you've not considered their spiritual state? Have you not been patient and loving? Have you tried to force an opinion on someone without prayer and patience? We should always correct in love. And sometimes, once we have shared, we, we just need to allow the Holy Spirit to do all the work. 
Brothers and sisters, we see critical spirits all around us. Right now, it's inundated on social media. We see it in our schools. We see it in relationships. But it should not be part of a Christian's life, nor the church. May God purge it from our lives and from our churches. We should each do well to ask ourselves, have I been critical this week? Has my focus on others' faults blinded me to my own? Brothers and sisters, then we need to repent and agree with God to help us to free ourselves from our own sin first. If you just close your eyes for just a minute and consider those words. Is there something that you need to ask to the Lord right now that you've been judgmental that you've sought your pride over loving care of another person. Do you need to ask God to help you crucify yourself and your pride and your sin? Take that to the Lord right now. grateful for your patience with us all the days we have disobeyed disappointed and wrestled in the mud of sin God forgive us and we are thankful for the good news of the gospel that you are there waiting to forgive us May we be people who regularly, every day, repent and trust in you and your ways. So God, I ask that you would remove the critical, judgmental hearts that we have. And Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that might think that you, God, are, are unapproachable, or unloving may they hear the good news of the gospel that your son died for them that if they repent and believe and trust and follow you today that mercy your mercy is more and that they can be forgiven may they today turn and trust in you and forever be your son or daughter we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we reflect on ways to show love and grace and compassion to others, let's take a moment and reflect the love and grace and compassion shown to us. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing.
today. Uh, number one, next week is our Easter egg hunt, so we encourage you to invite others, bring others along with you. There are invites still out there that you can take and invite people around you. Uh, we encourage you uh, to go and um, take those uh, invites, but we also need a couple of volunteers. Uh, we need volunteers to hide eggs at 9 a.m. and oversee our egg hunts and the fellowship hall. So if you can see Christy Reed, she's over there. Uh, volunteer, you can do that. We'll make sure you can do those things and be with your kids. So just uh, if you have some or if you don't, please definitely come volunteer because we have a lot going on. And please pray. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to meet people in our community. And we want to connect them to the Lord, Jesus Christ, and to each other. There will be a gospel presentation and so uh, pray that God will use that and convict hearts and minds. And so we hope that you will pray for this and volunteer. Secondly, a gospel to every home will be every Sunday at 4. Today we will not have gospel to every home. Uh, Mark and I talked. It's just on the cold side a little bit. And we don't want to have teeth chattering when we're at the door. Can I tell you about Jesus? You know, something, you know we don't want to do that. So, uh, so not today. Uh, but next week, we'll kick right back up, marching towards Easter, inviting people towards Easter. So they hope that you, uh, you will join us next Sunday for Gospel to Every Home at 4. Next Sunday is also an important day in the life of our church. We hope you come. It's Lord's Supper Sunday. So we gather together, prepare your hearts between now and then. Examine yourself before the Lord, before that you come. Also, uh, th those of you who... 
uh, may have a gluten-free uh, gluten allergy uh, we will have some gluten-free uh, breads next week so all you got to do is go to the next steps desk and we have those available for you next sunday uh, as well and then finally um gotta read my writing there okay guests thank you for coming we are glad that you are here please go to the next steps desk if this is your first sunday with us uh, we want you to uh, get connected to a life group and to eat to other people uh, they're also a gift waiting for you if this is your uh, first time with us uh, members greet them as they leave and get to know them a little bit but we do have a members meeting that will will take place in about we'll do how about seven minutes uh, that we'll do that um, right now if you have a child with you uh, Brian Early who's back in the back uh, will be able to take them downstairs to the fellowship hall and you can go with them down there so they can meet down there while we're having our meeting uh, if your kids are already in child care and you're staying for the meeting they're going to stay there so you don't have to even worry about them but please go pick them up we don't want them sleeping here overnight so come see them later uh, everybody thank you for being here today pray that you go in the grace of the lord jesus christ and tell of his excellent name goodbye